1: Hey, what's up and welcome to The Mitchin. My name is Andrew Levins and every week I co-host a show about food in Sydney with my good friend, Chef Mitchell Orr. <laughs> You're a fuckwit. <laughs> I sure am. Uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, a brand new uh, TV show that's on SBS about food called The Chef's Line featuring a few, or well, one uh, significant past guest on The Mitchin. Uh, we're going to be talking about opening your own restaurant. We're going to be talking about the shortage of chefs uh, it's, actually, there's a, there's a lot of things we can complain about today So we thought we would get a guest uh, That's been on many <laughs> times No one complains better than this guy I'm talking about the one and only Michael Eggett uh, Returning for the first time in quite a while From Pinbone uh, Currently known as Good Luck Pinbone uh, Welcome back to the Mitch and Table, Mike Eggett
0: Thanks, love. it's good to be here I'm actually really happy I've got plenty of chefs, <laughs> lots of money There's no shortages in Kensington We're loaded <laughs>
1: uh what's going on man last time we spoke to you on the mitchin was like the night before you were going to open good Like pinbone i think yeah oh well you went there he came I- to my
0: house at one in the morning <laughs> he was there I, I, I was on i was on it was like a, the was last, he drunk?
1: was he drunk i was too? extremely it was the yeah. last sydney show of the venga boys tour that uh, i was on and i came and hung out with mike for a bit
0: yeah it was good it was nice oh uh, look it's been good been busy we've just yeah. been working cooking chinese or Asian food I don't know it's not really Chinese and Asian fusion yeah, I yeah. believe it's called It's definitely mate. fusion I love fusion I'm, I'm a fusion fan.
1: We've been yeah well, we've been talking about recently about cultural appropriation in in Sydney restaurants and 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 you know fusion and that kind of thing. You guys none of no none of you guys have any Asian heritage but you are you know you love and have always cooked in restaurants that serve Asian and Chinese food. Um how do you open up a restaurant that serves that with it well, well avoiding racist cliches oh <laughs>
0: i don't know i don't even try to buy into anything more than i just put stuff in a walk and it goes out on a plate you know like it's nothing about cultural appropriation it's about cuisine it's about culinary experiences it's about learning it's about growing as a chef you know um we're not taking the piss out of anyone mm. we're not doing anything negative we're completely passionate about cooking food we just happen to be cooking chinese at the moment to say there's cultural appropriation in food is to say that chinese people can only cook chinese food and australians can only cook you know australian food and italians are only allowed to do pasta i mean i mean for the most part we should only let italians do pasta <laughs> you know they just stick to one thing if it doesn't have tomato and cheese then that's it but really the cultural appropriation in food is is silly and i think I think yeah, it's not. Really, it's uh,
2: not cooking the food. It's all the other bullshit that or, people try and
0: pull. Col- like food it's pretty is simple. That just don't be a fucking idiot. <laughs> food breaks down the barriers of cultural, you know, stereotypes throughout the world. It lets people see other people's cultures. So, to start trying to put a, a negative spin on that, to say that you know myself and Gemma aren't allowed to cook Chinese food, or no, that oh, that's not. Doing what I was it in, no, no, no. But like. I'm saying, but if people if people ever want to say that we are doing it in a racial way, or we're culturally appropriating the Chinese, you know, it's no way
1: we're talking about directly like uh you know if you listened recently we talked about that restaurant the carter who do a uh, obama fried chicken dish that have you ever listened to that one and also there's suey sins which is the um the the restaurant we're talking about or the bar in surrey hills that uh you know run by a bunch of white dudes with uh, very naff and pretty insensitive uh you know imagery on on the, on the walls and yeah and i think that that's dishes called me so hungry yeah
0: apparently. and i think that's the big difference if you if you're kind of a a dipshit you shouldn't open a restaurant and they have so you know (laughs) and if you're gonna come up with dipshit names like that then you're probably an idiot you know and and you shouldn't be in a public eye you shouldn't be in you know where people can hear you and see you should be in side with your auntie and your uncle yelling at the tv and you know telling people to go home back to where they came from but you know those restaurants open they'll close but it's not cultural appropriation to cook other cuisines you know Otherwise, Mitch is in trouble because he put any cuisine on a Jats, you know. (laughs) Got to make some money somehow, bro. (laughs) Uh,
1: So our very good friend, Dan Hong, uh, who has been on the show countless times, Uh, we have to pay him $20,000 every time he appears, but it's worth the money, in my opinion. Uh, So he has currently, just this week, uh, joined a brand new television show on SBS called The Chef's Line. And the, uh, the first few episodes have aired this week. Um, it stars Dan Hong, um, who is kind of like the uh, Matt Preston figure <laughs> of the show. Um, he is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality television show in which a bunch of home chefs compete against restaurants. I mean, he kind of is without like even initially like, okay, that's the role he's playing. But then you actually see him and he's wearing like, like the loudest shade of purple oh, I've ever yeah. seen besides on someone like Matt Preston. And he definitely is that role.
2: He's, he's the, the suit jacket guy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, we've also got, um, another, a cast of, um, a food writer, Melissa, Melissa yeah, Melissa Leong is, um, is on the cast as well as one of the judges, um, Mark Olive, who is another chef and, um, uh, the, the lady who you see hosting pretty much anything to do with food on it. I don't feel like she doesn't really have an allegiance to any channel. Maeve O'Meara is also a, a, a host of some of this show. It's a confusing She's format. She's like the narrator. Yeah. yeah. So every show is introduced by Maeve, and um, she then kind of says what the show's about. Then we go into a kitchen, um, and we meet Hongi and Mel and Mark, and they're the kind of, they're the hosts and judges of this comp- competitive cooking show in which home chefs go up against different restaurants each week. It's like a, it's a, it's a nightly show. Mm. This week is Vietnamese week and they have, uh, the restaurant they're competing against is Dandelion. Is that a Melbourne restaurant? Mm-hmm. Um, featuring someone that they just disrespe- re- refer to as, um, what is it, like, Executive Chef Jeff? Executive
2: Chef Jeff. And they have to say Executive Chef every single time. And then,
1: like, we get it after the third time that he's the Executive Chef. Why don't they just call him Executive Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> they never say his last name. It's real weird. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway.
2: Everyone's Apprentice Chef Vincent or Station Chef. What's a Station Chef?
0: I don't know yeah. <laughs> at the train station <laughs> and quality of food I don't know uh, no, uh, yeah. I don't know any of that crap I don't it even know is, what an exec chef means it just yeah. means they don't do any work <laughs> means they stand outside in a suit
1: that's an exec chef that's an exec chef they have a clipboard not a knife roll that's an
0: exec chef and if you're listening in your an exec chef, you know you haven't picked up a knife. <laughs> it's true.
1: So it's on SBS. And I guess going into this, I thought, you know, oh, SBS is like, you know, a pretty, you know, cultured station. They, they, they definitely take the highbrow option when they can. But this feels like a, um, a really light version of MasterChef um, mm. in that it's like, you know, it, it, it is that competitive, a bunch of people from home competing. Mm. But it's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a lot smaller scale. Yeah. Um, and the, these guys are only competing for a week I think yeah. and then they, you know they, every, each night whoever doesn't do a good dish gets kicked off yeah. And I,
2: I kind of like the format in that you go through it's almost like a Super Nintendo game or Mortal Kombat or whatever you go through and you face harder Mortal opponents Mortal Kombat was on the Super Nintendo you go through and you face harder opponents until you reach the boss level <laughs> mm-hmm. so I kind of like the format but executive chef executive Jeff. chef <laughs> but the set is very MasterChef of Jace, and that even the outside of the building is very MasterChef of Jace. Yeah, and it's it just
0: it's a little bit too close. So it even about all these like reality shows, like these cooking shows, these home contestant shows. They go in waves. So it started out with like Ready Steady Cook, and then yeah. MasterChef came along, and then My Kitchen Rules came along, and MasterChef smoked it, and then My Kitchen Rules came back, and it. Now smoked MasterChef, yeah. so they could be onto a winner because they're kind of like people get bored, but they kind of, of want the, the format. same format, yeah. but they don't really want the same format.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think that, that, that the amount of changing that happens in this show will probably be good for them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, I, I think there's first, not too
2: much drama and fucking it's so fast. It's only and half an hour. hour. Then that won't that's work. That's the other
1: good. That's the other
2: good
0: thing. It's yeah. only half an hour. But the crying is what makes the shows though. You know, like the For that's the what they that's members. what they want. You know yeah. what I mean? They don't the really care if the souffle rose; they just care if you <laughs> cried when it didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, there's, and
1: there's the, no bleeped out swearing. No,
0: and I think probably this one seems to have gone and got contestants which actually have skill and actually have talent. And I think that'll work against them because if you look at the people on MasterChef, especially My Kitchen Rules, like the judges, even like Dazza, you know they can't cook. You know, you know what I mean? And that really works to their advantage because you know, like the food doesn't work, so they cry a little. Bit. and like if they're not yeah. crying I'm pretty sure the British are just, just like pinching them and kicking them under the table and they're even making up like you know love interest stories and stuff so it's more like days of our lives with a bad bowl of pasta in front of you yeah. that you know yeah so yeah. I, I don't know maybe the quality contestant well, yeah. will be bad
1: we watched the first two episodes yeah there's only been two episodes and, um, at the time of recording You know, I think our, our, The first episode of The Mitchin Which is significantly easier To produce than an episode Of reality <laughs> television Is atrocious
2: It could be our best one
1: uh, <laughs> So, you know I think <clears throat> I laughed a lot In the first episode but I
2: laughed a lot Through both episodes I thought the
1: second episode Was way better Than yeah. the first episode And I actually I, I got, got sucked in By it got the second it, episode it got, it, yeah. it got its hooks in me And I think I'm gonna watch A few of these mm. Like, you know, At least I can just choose The cuisines that I like I don't know what They're gonna do next week I'll keep watching Just to laugh at Hongi He's so funny in this like, because he's really good like and and he got that shelfie show which unfortunately was like just like you know he did a great job with like like the scraps of this idea that, that he was yeah, given yeah. like it wasn't a, it wasn't a good, well, good I've, format I've, for a show I've
2: said it before Dan's actually really good at doing that kind of thing and being positive and interest, interested and knowledgeable and all that kind of thing but he, Dan has mannerisms as we all do <laughs> when he talks and when he's talking to you like this, that you don't notice them. When it's on TV and it's turned up to eleven, yeah. Because the and they're the editing the produce, out all the gaps. Yeah, when he's not doing those the mannerisms. The producers are like, "Come on, Dan. We really need some energy here. We need a big, big smile, and you need, you know, some hand and he, it goes through the roof. Man, it's fucking hilarious you know him.
1: There's this great moment, I think, in the second episode where he and Mark Olive both have, like, the same ha- hand. <laughs> gesture. They're both doing, like, Mr. Burns fingers. <laughs> and it's, like, the funniest. I'll, 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 I'll screenshot, screenshot it and it. make it in the Mitch and cover photo yeah. for a while. <laughs> Big fan. It's so good.
2: And then what, what I don't get, the premise of the show is you go through and you verse a different level of chef from the restaurant at each stage, and you all cook the same style of dish, and then if the chef wins, I think all the contestants get to move forward, maybe, or they still get kicked out. No, no, no. You, the, the worst dish still gets kicked the out. The worst dish still gets. Okay, uh, yeah. so if the chef doesn't win, nothing happens. The, I guess the rest it goes against the restaurant, and at the end of the week, the restaurant might lose.
1: Yeah, and then they have to just close, and <laughs> they, yeah. they can't serve food anymore. But
2: if the contestant wins. Dan presents the contestant with oh, yes. a trophy. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny.
1: It's the, wor- it's the worst it's like, prize.
2: For winning, you get this trophy.
1: And it's not even a trophy. It's like, it's this like, like a piece like of... It's like a, wire it's a bent wire made into a chef ha- It's a bent coat, it's hanger, a coat hanger, hanger, hanger on a blank of wood.
0: <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> That's the SBS budget. Yeah, yeah.
2: But I'm like cool so do they get immunity if they have the worst dish or you know going with I guess reality TV tropes or whatever I guess because
1: each, each team only lasts a week yeah so maybe, but it's like yeah. okay so
2: now they have this bent coat hanger that they get to take home like is there <laughs> something more uh, but Hung gets
1: so excited when he gives it to him it's so good and you get this trophy <laughs> so good. both times I forgot that that was what, what he was getting and I was like oh it's the fucking trophy again yes <laughs> Um It's a, it's an enjoyable. Hongi, I know you're listening. Please get us one of those trophies. Mm. We'll put it in every 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 episode yeah. video we do. It's really
2: fucking it's I think it's funny because we know Hongi and that's why I like it so much. But like I said, it did. By the second episode, I was kind of invested. Yeah,
1: I, so. I, I, I got I to talk about the, uh, the, the, main, the main chef, the executive chef Jeff. He was like a big old white guy that, that you know he has, has a Vietnamese restaurant, so he hires Vietnamese staff. But he kept calling them "good boy." Good boy it was so <laughs> condescending and fucking weird to me. Like, was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really notice that. Good boy. I'll, I'll 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 say it sporadically through this episode, and you can let me know if it makes you feel weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I guess the first episode was an apprentice who's just started cooking and has only been at the restaurant. So I just I. So you
1: you said that good boy, good
2: boy. Good boy. Your, yeah, your,
1: your I said it to Mike all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not that often. I'm not very good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so yeah, that's uh, that's. It's called the chef's line. Um, watch it with us, and we can talk about it each week. I think I'm I'm, I'm, I'm kind of invested. It's 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 a, it's, it's a fun really watch. light entertainment, and because it's
2: 20 minutes, it's super easy. Yeah, to- yeah. And
1: yeah. you can watch it on SBS Demand, which is a really easy to use app on the yeah. on Apple TV, and you can even fast forward the ads.
0: Poor. Love that.
1: Mm. Real good fun. I fucking hate it. <laughs> good, <gorgeous>. good. <laughs> this episode of The Mitchin is brought to you by <laughs> you can fast forward right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no one's giving us any money yet, don't worry. So there's uh no shortage of uh, of, of chef based reality TV shows. But guys, have you heard <laughs> oh, there great. is a shortage oh, great. of chefs Segway. in Sydney oh, <laughs> fucking nailed it. Linky Link Link. <laughs> <laughs> This this episode's brought (laughs) to you by great segues (laughs) Sound like a true professional Uh, So we've spoken about this Both of you have kind of spoken on this in the past About Numerous times You know The fact that new new restaurants are opening in Sydney and, And Australia constantly There's always new restaurants There's always hype for new restaurants But as that increases There's no evidence of the amount of chefs in Sydney increasing there's no evidence of the amount of diners increasing
0: either to fill mm, all these. It's the diners that get us, because we're all opening in the same area, but it's not in the like western parts of Sydney where the majority of the population is growing. Mm. So all the restaurants open in the city, and you know. But at the moment, to be honest, there's pretty much even keel. As one opens, one closes. Sure. So yeah, that the, yeah. the chefs are all moving around. You're not bringing new talent into the industry. We're just moving it around at the moment. There's a shortage, but there's a definite shortage and there's a definite problem with the environment that the kitchens like create. There's a problem with the perception that diners, how they want to spend their money and then how we have to transfer that into the goods mm-hmm. and then into our staff. So it's it's a bit of a change up in the moment. The last five years especially, has really been, a, you've seen a big change or it, it needs more of a change, but the amount of money that people will pay for food the amount of money food costs and the amount of wages that we have to pay has changed and rent so there's been a lot of increases but then there's also been with like big agro farming and big business there's a lot of cheap food products imports so there's a a third fourth tier restaurant that exploits that cheapest shit product and can put food out for 10 bucks 12 bucks freak shakes no like (laughs) not not the freak shakes but just like you know you can go and get like salt and pepper squid for 10 dollars but really, what the fuck are you getting for ten dollars? That ain't you know? squid. And I understand there's people that need to to pay that they can't spend twenty dollars. But whilst there's a big industry of those cheaper markets, it puts pressure on myself and Mitch who mm-hmm. want to buy stuff from organic producers and and real producers. You know,
2: talk about the article, Levs. So yeah, sorry, sorry. Re- you know, we- recap. Do your recap.
0: If you if you
1: follow. All the chefs that have been on the Mitch in in the past, all the Sydney-based chefs um, on on Instagram, you would have noticed in the last week there was a day in which pretty much ten of them, Mitch included, uh, posted a, literally a th-
2: every th- single restaurant in Sydney posted.
1: Uh, yeah, an Instagram post looking for chefs. It wasn't like just like, hey, chefs, post this on your thing. Here's a template. It was like you know, all independently on on the hunt for chefs uh, using social media to try and find them. Um, and we talk we talked about it quite a lot on on, on the show. But uh, there was an article in uh, City Morning Herald this week in the small business section um, about uh, Massimo Batura from Osteria uh, Auster- Francesc- Francescana. Yeah, I've, I've been there a hundred no, no, times. you obviously.
0: Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> one more time. Osteria yeah. Francescana. There you go.
1: Yeah, nailed That's, it.
0: Yeah. One more time. <laughs> no. You, <laughs> you get one. Um, Massimo Bott Botts. Frenchy Frenchy. <laughs> <laughs> So that again, that was great <laughs> uh,
1: So he, um, he, he in, in an interview with Fairfax Media um, He said that The rise of Celebrity Chef and the cooking show Star Machine Is sending the wrong messages to would-be chefs And contributing to skills shortages
0: Too bit- many
1: people, too many young men and women are driven By the wrong stimulation to become a chef
0: is there some something ironic about a celebrity chef that's being flown around the world telling us there's a shortage because a celebrity oh, chef? Like, I guess I mean, I mean,
1: like, okay, if you look at this uh, from, the, from we, as positively as possible, which is what that's my role on the show sometimes, because you not mine. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, he is like a, a, an extremely successful figure in the food world, and these kind of messages can be used to inspire other people to, you know, I'm just walking around, work hard.
0: Yeah. Oh look, it, it's fine, but. You know, but Mitch, has, Mitch has worked in that kitchen You know what I mean It takes yeah, a lot of people A lot of effort yeah. To do that job You know what I mean But it would take a little less If one person That was at the top Was in there still Pushing on It also just sounds <laughs> like My My
2: My thing is Why do we need Not necessarily Massimo But why do we need Any chef From overseas <laughs> To come and highlight A problem That we We've all Fucking known about yeah. For years for someone to fucking write about it, and he's, he's p- not saying anything new. And then why do we need to ask Pete Gilmore? Pete's thing, who had Pete's opinion, and I love Pete, but he has unlimited resources mm.
1: to staff his restaurants. You know, like he says, even at the top end, there is a bit of a shortage. Like, Just one level below that, there is real struggle. That was Peter Gilmore that said yeah, 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 yeah. that. Yeah,
0: yeah. But but so Pete Pete. Pete lives in Sydney. He works in Sydney. Been here for 20-30 years. So that's fine. Pete can have a say. I, I don't mind that. But it's funny when Master has been here for two days and he's like, yeah, "There's a real shortage." of It's like, what's he gone and to the ma- kitchen? There's been mas- no food. And like- MasterChef's to blame. Yeah, that's like- yeah, because
1: he oh, says, "Yeah, man. there are more people starting and less people staying," and a lot of that has to do with media and TV shows like MasterChef. Why? How? How is like for me? I'm like yeah. it's such a baffling scapegoat to you. It's a stupid like, scapegoat. Yeah. What it does is it
2: makes people think that the industry is easy and if you go on TV you become a success overnight it short changes the amount of years of learning and hard work and sacrifice that every chef gets that has made to get to where they
0: are that, that's a that's a spot on point that the, the Master Chef reality of what it romanticizes it it, it, it it takes away the the grind, right? It takes away the real truth. The fact that ninety percent of us started washing dishes or scrubbing floors, we weren't chefs. We just had a part time job. And mm-hmm. he, but the thing is, what it doesn't change is that if you're passionate enough and you come from Master Chef, you'll make it. Yeah. If you want it bad enough, it does. The master chef didn't create the shortage of staff. No, the exactly job yeah. creates the shortage yeah. of staff. It's a fucking shit job. Like it's fucking hard. It takes forever. It takes yeah. up all your time. It breaks your body. It breaks your spirit. It breaks your social life. And you get five hundred bucks at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not really worth it. And then when you got five hundred bucks, all you can do is hang around with
2: the guys you work with. It didn't create the problem. Yeah, but it's exacerbated the problem. Exactly because. It makes people think they don't have to go through yeah. all that and they come in they go fuck i want to be a chef and they come in with a false sense of what it actually takes yeah f- and then when they realize yeah 90 percent of them drop out some yeah, don't yeah. no no yeah, i think some say and some make it, it.
0: But, I know, but i think that those guys and girls get weeded out within a week most of the time yeah. and it's not as if they're there and they're taking up the space for people that would be real chefs like you know like yeah. oh, all the master chef fucking idiots are in there and, yeah, no. and now we can't get real like we know as chefs when someone comes to train yeah. or apply for a job you give them a trial at the end of the day if it's a fairy who thinks that they're going to be running the kitchen in three months we yeah. don't hire them you don't them. give them a job you yeah. know what I mean if they're a grafter and they you know I don't care how good their skills are if they've got determination work ethic and a bit of values and you know a bit of stamina give
1: them, the th-
0: give them the job yeah. and they will run with it and, you know, like I've had countless talented people come and start who aren't master chefy people. They just want to be chefs. But they get to about three or four months and they reassess. And they're usually mature ages, I find. And they, they go, okay, this is the three months. I've done it. I put my head down. I work like a dog. I've got four or five years of this ahead of me before, before I, I may or may yeah. not open my own place. And they go, I was doing this. Other job, whether it be... Making some shit loads
2: sh- more money. And they're like, I'm <laughs> out. Shit more free time.
0: And yeah. I say to them every time, <laughs> thank God you got out because... And then they come and visit you and eat at your restaurant every weekend and yeah. you're like, motherfucker, I should have left as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
2: The, the other thing that the article mentions is overseas um, workers and stuff like that on four, five, seven visas or working visas and all that. And apprentices. When I was an apprentice, I got paid fucking nothing and I worked a fucking long, a long-ass week. Mm. And appre- like Pete mentions that Apprentice Pay has gotten better and better and better and their perks and their their rights and all this mm. stuff. Of, I don't even hire apprentices now because no. it's too difficult. No. You know? So that's created a different level of problems. But the problems for it, the, the reason they've done that is to make the industry more attractive to people to come in and start apprenticeships. Mm. The problem is once they qualify and they don't get a fucking pay rise because the pay rates are the same for a fourth year apprentice and a qualified chef. Mm. They go, oh, fuck
0: it, I'm going to quit anyway. Yeah, And I thought it was a great point by Pete. I thought it was a really good point. Yeah. Because one of the biggest things that keeps you working in any role or any job is the value and the worth and it's often judged by going yeah, up really- and up in scale yeah. and that's all usually financial because even if you make someone your sous chef... If you don't pay them anymore <laughs> they don't have a sense of worth you know yeah. what i mean so it's really hard for us to instill a sense of worth in someone and keep a hierarchy as well which is really important in a kitchen because you know there's only so much you can pay yeah there's only so much you're allowed to minimum pay the yeah. gap between the two is not very big. It's not very big because at the end of the day if i've got myself and gemma you know the person that's working with us we don't really need them you know what i mean that's not in a derogatory way we have them there to do other jobs and make it a bit easier but it's mainly to train and mainly to teach and mainly to do the stuff that we don't want to do or don't have time to do but at any given moment we can do the job without them you know what I mean and Mitch is probably the same you know he has this strong like second and at the moment it's Lil and he's had other ones through and then they have a third person in that kitchen which at the moment is Ben Sears. So, so definitely not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, anyone can put flour on the outside of chicken and put it in a fryer. <laughs> but not with his charisma. No, nah, that's it. But, He's yeah. So, so And then the other thing is we
2: have all, like, I get, I literally get 10 emails a week from Cordon Bleu students or cookery students from whatever school it may be. But I can't run a restaurant on, with people that can only work 20 hours a week you know and legally yeah it's really hard and the, the main problem is like Mike said everything goes up rent goes up labour costs go up food costs go up alcohol costs goes up tax go up but the cost that we can charge that people will pay for food stays the fucking same so our margins get tighter and tighter and tighter and everyone complains about it on all sides of the story but we're not doing anything to fix it what can we do to fix it I don't know I'm not that smart
0: I think it always comes back to transparency. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing because the moment the, the food industry from our side isn't transparent to the general public, they don't know what a $3 coffee costs them. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's that classic example I think has come up on this podcast and you see it floating around on memes all the time where the chef broke down, you know, the electricity, the handling, yeah. the washing, the wiping yeah. and yeah. stuff yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, to get things out, like we offer BYO because we don't have a license but even to offer that service we charge five dollars a head because we don't have the ability to sell alcohol so we don't slap them with a big you know excessive yeah. amount because we're not losing money on it but even to offer wine glasses and open bottles i've put an extra staff member on so even you if have we to do wash the glasses yeah. you have to power like, the glass washer you have to yeah have to even if we do 100 paper. people and they will pay or half of them pay that 250 bucks we get probably just covers the third person that we had to be on the floor because we're offering drink service now mm. because people want their bottles of wine open they want it cold they want it stored they want the next one ready to go they want a new glass and that's fine like you know you're in the industry of hospitality so you've got to offer those things but people see it as like oh it's five bucks for free but yeah. not really by the time i do all the labor associated with it yeah. you're still you know, losing money yeah like it's
1: pretty break eveny. you you guys are pretty transparent Mm. as a restaurant pinbone. I feel like the average person that goes to dine at Pinbone is pretty aware of what that $5 is going towards. Or do you do you still have trouble with it?
0: Uh, it's not that it's trouble, it's just that like okay, maybe they understand the $5 for the BYO, but do they understand that the the like let's say the eggplant omelet that we charge $18 for. Is, do they know where the $18 goes in that because it's like a four-stage process to get that dish out to them. It's using great produce you know like it's two dollars just for the eggs you know what i mean and it's and then there's the labor and there's the cleaning and all that so it's really hard for us not me but the industry because you know we i have a personal gripe i think one thing that we should be allowed to do which we can't do is i think we should be allowed to write our menus and our whatever and then put gst as an additional thing yeah, on the bottom yeah i think that would make Agreed. a huge difference difference to the restaurant industry I know they say we're meant to incorporate it into our food costs and all that sort of stuff and every industry business we have to do that but when I charge $18 for said omelette right $1.80 of that goes straight to the government now it's really hard for me to factor that in and charge $20 for that omelette because then people go that's fucking too expensive right. yeah. mm. whereas if they got their bill for $100 at the end of it and then it was a $10, $10 charge GST, for GST yeah. everyone would be happy and I yeah. could give them because I got to give the money straight to the government you know mm. what I mean yeah and
1: and, and and people don't know that you guys aren't paying GST on the produce that no, make no, up the dishes that you yeah. make too like that's GST free but then as yeah. soon as you turn it that those you know essential foods into a meal yeah. then got you, you have to GST. add GST to it yeah. and so. what
0: I don't like and the government fucked us for this is that When I buy a raw fish from the fish market, right? So I bought a fish from a fisherman, no GST transport. So I get it for no GST, right? That's fine. So that $10 fish, then I take it, I hire people, I create an economy, right? I bring people in, I, I staff the place, and then I might serve that fish raw. What difference... Is selling a whole raw fish to selling sliced raw fish, yeah. other than I employed more people. Now, the reason the government won't tax them at the fish market, they sell that fish to me for $10, right? And then let's go on standard food costing around the mm. world. We sell that for $50 to the restaurant. So they've got 10% of, a, of $10, they get a buck, or they get 10% of $50, they get five bucks. Yeah. So they fuck the restaurants. Now, yeah, everyone always says just add the GST in, but you can't because people will be people put off up by, a by stink. the pricing people even kick
2: up you know like it's not so bad now but when restaurants started to introduce uh, card charges Mm -hmm. because our merchant fees are through the fucking roof through the roof in every other place you go you get a merchant fee added whether it be 1.5% 2% 3% whatever it is as soon as restaurants started doing that people started kicking out the biggest thing and refusing like refusing to pay it yeah you know
0: and it can be tens of thousands of dollars coming out of a restaurant's pocket. You look at your bill year. for a hundred bucks and then take off 10% for the government, take off 2% for, for just card. to mm. cards. You lost 12 bucks. That's an entree for us. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's not that it's a foreign thing. It's done in every other country in the world. Mm. You write your menu, you do your food costs, and the 10% is added because it goes to the government. It's their tax, not mine. I'm not yeah. putting your food up. The government is. They choose not to tax the farmers, and that's great. Like, we fucking love the farmers. We love the fishermen. you know. But like, but it means you guys can't
1: you know, have the, that tax exemption because you've already paid the GST on the, on, yep. the, on the produce that you've then turned into dishes.
0: And it also means it's really fucking annoying because we have to then go through all invoices and everything and look for things that are like chemical or, yeah, you know, yeah. so it's a ball ache. So you're taxing a company that's small and little and penalizing us for employing people and creating jobs jobs, and also creating an an economy of scale in the whole environment where people can go to restaurants. Like it should be easy for us. Like it should be Slutty. like why can a company like Vicks Meat not charge like GST to us so they're making millions of dollars and never have to worry about the GST element. Yet, when I take the steak and cook it and put three chefs in a kitchen and three waiters on the floor, you know, and a kitchen hand and in, and pay for garbage disposal and pay for cleaners and pay for all this stuff because I'm selling that steak and then I got to fucking work out how to do the 10% without making it look so expensive that the customer gets the shits. It's yeah. like, it's a very weird system. And, you know, go to America and you just get bang right at the end, 17%. Yeah.
2: There's your tax. That's it. Your it's tax. On. And it's across the board in America, like yeah, and it, uh, overseas. You go to the shop, and the thing is this much on the shelf, and then you get your thing, and it's with the tax added. That's... it's yeah. a nightmare. It's, anyway, next thing to end you about sorry, let's sorry. move it
1: on. Well, I just say uh, in closing on that on that story, and it's kind of like a recurring motif in some of the articles we're talking about this week. It just kind of presents a problem, talks to a bunch of people about it, doesn't present and doesn't anything, present you know. a solution to it. And I think that that's the like you know a big problem with you know we've we presented. A, a much bigger problem that that journalists could really help the industry with, and that's explaining to consumers how much their meals cost. Yeah, mm. um, there's shocking, no shocking food
0: that. journalism for the whole. As a, and and it's not that it's not that there's not wonderful food journalists. There's fucking great ones, the but they've got as much pressure as restaurants do at the moment to be relevant and to be of the moment. And it's leading to really poor articles. There's no research. There's no digging. There's just like, what you see? Put it on a page, slap a photo on it and put it up online. You Get someone to click on it. You yeah. know, and it, and it's a shame because we have some amazing journalists and it's the same with reviews. They don't review anymore. You know, they just see what they see and talk about the furniture, talk about the architect, see who the designer was. See if there's a seventy dollar bottle of Shiraz on <laughs> and it's not just Terry, it's everybody. They're all the same. You know, like they don't have the lead time they used to to be genuinely like effective. And they're and it's a waste because they're really, really fantastic. And it's one of the biggest problems with the industry. You know, there's no one dictating who's good and who's bad. And you need that. You need that in life. You know, and you, it's uh, probably going to lead into what you want to talk about, the social media thing.
1: Oh, before we get there. Sorry? so The last the last article we talked about, the headline was, as the rock stars of the restaurant world arrive, Australia is struggling for chefs. Would you be more likely to click that or this next one, is legal weed hurting the restaurant industry? <laughs> <laughs> this is a particularly stupid article. Oh, it's the that worst. That was up on EDA this week um, about Colorado's restaurants. Uh, basically, it, it, um, they're talking about... Like there's, a, there's a shortage of cooks in Colorado and um, in, in major cities all across the US. Um, and, uh, you know, the primary contributing factor of, uh, fueling all this seems to be the industry's notoriously low wages. Um, so so that's paid- led many cooks to look for other inter- industries, including the burgeoning legal marijuana industry. So they get paid
0: more to sell weed. Well I mean fucking obviously I think it's, just, I think it's <laughs> just an easier job haven't you listened to any rap songs <laughs> <Yes>. like <laughs> but correct me if i'm wrong but That's the legalizing weed thing in america
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: is it just a debacle anyway so i think that article is just complete bullshit like the federal government's kind of got their own laws versus the state governments and there's no real like <clears throat> good industry of legalized weed that would ever bite into the chef's industry that is like the epitome of stupid food journalism like that is the worst article it's I've pretty
1: seen. funny Bobby Stuckey Of the acclaimed Frasca wooden wine In Boulder Tells Bloomberg That Colorado's Colorado's restaurant, loves it What's that? His
0: mum loves yeah. it Like acclaimed Like Bobby Watsy of where? It's acclaimed Like put acclaimed on it That's one of the biggest Things people do They just write themselves up uh, Colorado's
1: restaurant Labor market Is in DEFCON 5 Right now Because of weed facilities um, oh,
0: well, yeah. if it's DefCon
1: Five, <laughs> it must be serious. So you know, it takes a lot of labour to fuel the uh, the one billion dollar um, legal pot industry in Colorado. And you've got you know roles for bud tenders who uh, who serve the front lines in dispensaries. Um, you've got trimmers who would just chop weed all day, and uh, even pastry chefs I, I know who help know. <laughs> who help produce edibles like brownies and candy. So basically,
2: we should get out in front of it
1: and. Get the
2: logistics in place to open weed dispensaries when it gets legalized yeah I,
0: I look it, in, like if it's all about the whole industry and the sh- shortage of chefs and stuff, and people leaving to go and join the weed industry. I think one of the biggest things that I reckon in Sydney, I can only talk about Sydney because it's our town, the nurturing or genuinely talented really well-skilled head chef is a bit of a shortage at the moment. And I think that we had the luxury of coming through with some really good trainers. And even before that, the the Tetsuya kitchens and the Rockpool kitchens of the Mm. old days, they were the kind of kitchens that inspired people and kept them motivated to stay in it. And I think one of the guys that I wanted to bring up on that point, that doesn't get the crudos that he probably deserves is Brent Savage. Crudos. Sav- crudos. It's like. <laughs> crudos. Whatever. And make up for <laughs> The crudos. A, a of crudos. <laughs> yeah. The of kudos. The he doesn't deserve is Brent Savage. He's one of the last guys that's really got a lot of people coming out of his kitchens that are talented. <laughs> he's got now. He's got. He's got Monopole, Yellow, Yellow Cirrus, and Bentley. You know, but his staff to come out of there are really well trained. They've got great attitudes to, you know, how to do things. He has a. He's, had a, he's been running for years, you know what I mean? Like Rockpool's gone now, so that kitchen's kind of gone, and tattoos has really changed. And, you know, it's not, if you were a 17 and year old, where would you go yeah, to get the training that you've got I and that know. I've got, you know? But the thing about that is, just as well, sell ice. No, it's ice dispensary. $100
2: million off the street, so you can't sell it for a little while. <laughs> Brent's kitchens are some of the hardest to work in Absolutely. in the city still. You know what I mean? And that results in producing good
0: chefs in a way. But I think the reason they stay in a hard kitchen and you have to stay in a hard kitchen if you want to be a good chef. Yeah. Like you have to do it, but it helps that he's in the fucking kitchens. Yeah, He's always there. He's no celebrity chef that goes down and does his little froufer. He does his minimums, but he's there. He's working. If you're 17 and Brent Savage is pushing on next to you, life's not so hard you're like this guy's old you know what i mean and he's (laughs) he's been doing it for years he won't mind me saying that's
1: a compliment (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: a compliment yeah think of the chefs that are like at brent's age and his quality pushing on on. yeah and think of the 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 amount of staff retention he has like it seems to me like the guys Mm. that work for brent stay for years Stay for a long time yeah well this is why (laughs) no
2: good chefs ever come out of (laughs) acne (laughs)
0: <laughs> they won't stay as soon you, as No, they stay legalize. because it's easy And they <laughs> get fucking that babied come, There's plenty of come out of there Like you've had Ben, you've had Clayton, you've had Annalise
2: <laughs> Pussy <laughs> it's pussy. Mate, they just weren't I'm trained the 10 <laughs> <Fucking hell. laughs> And they're definitely leaving <laughs> Give me a Lifetime Achievement Award already God damn it
1: so, if you've been to Acme, one of uh, you know one of the real reasons to go is so you can see Mitch on his phone in the kitchen. And uh, you don't even have to go to the restaurant this week because an article went up in Good Food uh, called, Is Social Media Killing Our Chefs? And the lead image for that article is a photo that was taken for a photo shoot when we started this podcast uh, two years ago almost. Um, and it's a photo of Mitch and I in his kitchen looking at our phones. Yeah. Then we get a uh, one of those articles that, like, there's I guess some amount of meat to it, but it's just presenting arguments for and against without kind of settling on one of them being the better of the two. Um, and Mitch is actually interviewed, so Mitch, you want to talk to me how this uh, his article was pitched to you? Yeah, I had a long chat with Jemima. Jemima's the, um, on the phone of um, article.
2: So basically, Ben Shuri from Attica guest edited was a guest editor of Good Food. In, I thought it was only in Melbourne, but maybe it was in Sydney too this week. I guess in conjunction. Well, they, they share a lot of articles. Yeah, I guess in conjunction with the 50 best, et cetera. And Jemima emailed me and said, Hey, Ben's opinion is that if you can't, if you're not present on social media, then you might not survive anymore, which I agree with mm-hmm. because the way the industry has changed and the way society has changed, it's a major thing now. So we had a long chat and basically talked about all the things that we've talked about before. Um, and she quoted me as giving Fassy shit and saying Fassy's feed is really boring. Colin Fastnage, which I've said to
1: his face before, and so. on this podcast many times. Yeah, there's no there's no beef there. But my <laughs> That's pa- how you got the scar like a the left
2: eye. <laughs> but my point was true. You know, Fassy might put up four, four pictures of pigs in a day, but it results in him selling those fucking pigs and making. The business money, so it's a good thing. Mm. But there was some interesting points that Ben sort of makes about—I uh, didn't pull out it in the quotes, but you know—about kid about the pressure being so immediate. Yeah, that was a great of, op- of opening a restaurant mm. where, and it sort of ties into his the other article that we'll talk about after, that where the... there's no chance to learn and make mistakes and realize what you're doing wrong. And start small, etc., 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 and it's really true. But it also makes you more accountable, and it also means people can grow with you if they decide to give you a chance, and they can see what you're doing and see how the restaurant's evolving, how you're evolving as a chef, and you know that all ties into the story of what you what you're doing and what you can sell. Because a big part of Ben's thing is his story, mm. and without his story and selling it. He might not be where he is today. Yeah. So Yeah,
0: look, that was the best part of that article. The rest was kind of really nothing. Like I thought I mean, it didn't especially really especially Mitch's quotes. Yeah. No, Mitch's yeah. quotes were fine, but the article never drew a conclusion. It, it you know. But Ben's point where he mentioned that that, Here that it quote is. Chef Ben Shuri has already touched on the
2: effects social can have on a young on young chefs. He worries that instant judgment from diners and critics means there's no space given to nurturing dishes, so fewer risks are being taken.
0: Which is true, because you open now and you get smashed, you get belted, no matter who you are. So if you're a young person that's never opened before and don't know what you're doing, you know you don't have the luxury of, you know, there's two ways to do it. You can come out secretively and just do your own thing, but that's a death sentence because then no one knows you're there, yeah. and Sydney's too tough. Or you can put yourself at the mercy of the the media, and if you got bad reviews, or you cop bad eater reviews, or you cop bad. Yelp reviews or yeah. you top out TripAdvisor reviews. People or are Facebook really. Facebook reviews. Yeah, people whatever. are really unkind. They just. They just a, they'll just burn you off. So it's it's a tough.
1: I hope uh, everyone who listens to the Mitchin also follows once loyal customer on Facebook, which is a page that finds the worst reviews they can find on uh, itability, Fedora, whatever. The, what's it Never called? Never heard of it, lads.
0: It's terrible. Never heard of once loyal customer. No. It's funny. It's just taking a piss out of the people that write bad reviews. Yeah, it's good. But but you ben, get terrible reviews. Yeah, so.
2: Ben makes another good point. He says we've bred an entire generations of chefs who don't know that most of what's online is bullshit. There's so much fake. And manipulated dishes, etc. You see a beautiful picture of something, and you know that the person that has posted that doesn't have the ability to reproduce that dish at that level for a hundred people, night after night, week after week, month after month. Which is a really good point, you know. Mike's definitely a big one on pulling up things on Instagram that may look pretty but are just shit and aren't going kind to of taste good. But you know, this is sort of what leads into freak shakes happening and stuff mm. like that. It's something visual. But it's
0: fucking shit. Yeah, and I'll throw it back to the fact that it's not the chefs that aren't aware of that. I still it's think it's, it's the general yeah. public and the media's attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, the media doesn't review the way they used to review. And they're they're like toothless tigers at the moment, right? So they're desperate for stories. You can get them to write a story about fucking anything. It's fucking unreal. And in the old days, you had to be like, you had to earn it. You know, you had to do something. That warranted a story now you can just sort of say this is happening or this is happening and they will just write a story like someone's timeouts running a giant thing about this szechuan festival is coming to sydney and it's like two dudes cooking in a hotel kitchen doing five different szechuan like mm. dan dan noodles it's like what the fuck is that getting media play you know what i mean like and it's constant it's not anything you know what i mean like the world's 50 are here and timeouts running a story on a szechuan festival in a hotel lobby in some crap i can't even remember the fucking article but that to me is the epitome of poor food journalism and that's what's screwing up the system there's no judgment there's no basic hierarchy in the old days when tetsuya started and grafted no one knew about him but when they did they praised him as this like it's coming watch this place watch this space they don't do that anymore because they don't have the luxury of learning the person the restaurant you know, they just have to write straight away. Bang.
1: Because, yeah, the, it, it's the, the restaurant before they even put a menu out has contacted someone to get the, you know, who, who, who's going to get the drop on this, you know, who's yeah. going to get the first announcement.
0: I feel bad for them because I know they don't want to do that. Mm. But if they don't have advertising dollars, you know what I mean? Their show, their their their, their articles and stuff would end up being like the Mitchin. This half ass <laughs> thing just thrown together at the end because <laughs> without funding and without backing, you know, they, they're, they're helpless. You know, they are. Like, they need that. They need that. They need those dollars, mm. you know, and you see it. Mm. So, that all ties
2: into the other article that um, Miffy wrote with, in conjunction with Ben.
1: Now another article about, that Ben Shuri wrote um, for Good Food this week.
2: About opening restaurants and it sort of goes into the same thing about risk-taking and like Mike was saying, being able to grow and develop a restaurant like Tetsu's did and being supported and that kind of thing and Ben has a couple of tips. They are pick the right life partner, find a mentor, Always pay your bills. Make a business plan. Have the nerve to hang on even when it really hurts. A little suffering is not a bad thing. Work for the right people. Know when you're ready. And because it's Ben, learn to love your fellow man. <laughs> it's, <been together. laughs> it's the most Ben thing ever. I'm surprised b- that wasn't the first. It's the most the Ben thing point. ever. <laughs> to, to every point. Now, <laughs> it's, yeah. A lot, a lot of that is really true. Like pick the right life partner. I don't think really matters because you can be single, have a family or whatever. Finding a mentor. But I, I think, mean, they the
1: think that you know he's clearly leaned on his wife. When yeah, a hundred percent. You need a support network. Yeah.
2: Always paying your bills is really
1: fucking simple. But so many people don't do it. So and like, many people. I don't, I don't know how we've do spoken about it, but like I remember like talking with our suppliers, and every week he'd find like you know Vinny, who who is uh, yeah. who's our, our, our our fruit and veg guy, was when I had a restaurant. I'm sure, I'm sure he still is for you guys. One of the best dudes in in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like the most kind. Uh, and like you know generous and like you know if you forgot your order he, he'll call you yeah. It'll be, he'll wake you up and he'll call you hey you didn't give me a thing well, well, what do you want to get for you um, but that like him in particular every, every week he'd tell me about another restaurant that it, had that it closed with, but without clearing his bill first and yeah. so like they, they go in the, the, the restaurants go into receivership but the people who suffer the suppliers yeah. there's no nothing they can do to get that money back that they've that they've put into produce to then sell to those restaurants yeah
0: yeah, yeah and it's a simple thing, but it it's makes a, a difference. Thing, but and he says, pay it, it every Wednesday. Like, yeah, pay it every pay week, it every, you know? Week. It makes a difference because when you ring your supplier and you're like, hey, I want to get some fish, you have that over cloudy little like, kind oh, of, fuck. I'm really sorry yeah. I you 20 grand, but yeah. I really <laughs> want some fish. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It makes a big difference because yeah. it makes you positive and happy yeah definitely that's a doom and gloomy element of that's one of the biggest causes of depression in the chef's industry is that the overhanging debt that we occur yeah. as restaurateurs you don't want it you don't want no, it don't. I mean there's some pricks out there that love it they, they're scammers they open restaurants every two years close it down embezzle run away yeah. open Ferraris go on TV shows fuck everybody over you know yep. but the real and people succeed. we love Vinny yeah. we never want to owe Vinny a buck no, you know what that's
2: mean? It. I don't want to end my supplies because he loves that, you. That he used, to not cook, mine. he used to cook him stuff.
1: He used to, he used to bring you mushrooms and you would cook them for him.
2: I've, I've used Vinny as a supplier for over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> we should get
1: him on the show. That'd be
2: funny. Yeah, he's pretty funny. Good luck. <laughs> i
0: <Kind of, laughs> get him to come for dinner. Yeah. Like, the guy, like sleeps two hours a day. Yeah. He's yeah. a freak. Yeah. He's the best.
1: But yeah, like shouts to Tom too.
0: Tom's a lot of
2: a lot of it goes into things we Angela. talked about before. Yeah. <laughs> Working for the right people. Making short-term sacrifices for long-term gain—you know, all that kind of stuff. Making a business plan—I still don't know what a business plan is. It's going to the same thing. <laughs> like, like is it making you, a business plan to make the funniest thing. Ben says, "You know what? I spent six months making a business plan for Attica before I bought it. Like, I'd love to have that kind of time, but I don't know how Ben managed that." But even but, when you make one, and I'm not one, that fucking
0: no, clever. Either. Even when you make one, what do you say? We want to make thirty thousand dollars a week. It's like yeah, everyone yeah. does. But nah, you know. but no, but the business plan
1: is. It's about. I, I wrote a business plan before I opened the dip. Oh, did. please! <laughs> and uh, you know, but it's about the. It's because because we, we we were partnering with Good God. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you write it for that benefit. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, he would have had to make a business plan because he. Uh, Attica originally did have investors. I know it's fully independent now, mm, yeah. but so the business plan exists, so you can tell to the people who are going to give you money yeah, my, what you do. My point is, it is important,
2: but you don't learn that yeah, as a chef. You, you don't fucking learn any of that. You like, you don't learn HR. You don't learn fucking how to pay bills. Mm. You don't learn any of that mm. until you you have to fucking do it. So it's just the worst. It's <laughs> it's a hard thing, and that sort of goes into. My point are um, into knowing when you're ready. You're never yeah. fucking ready never to open ready. a restaurant. You just do it. You're never you, fucking ready. You know when you're ready. You know
0: when you're prepared to not have a day off for six yeah. months.
1: Like <laughs> exactly. that's that's
0: when you're ready. If you if you're sitting there thinking I'm gonna give it every dollar I've ever saved to and never get it back, yeah. and I don't mind to work like a dog yeah. for the next six for months, nothing, you're ready. You're ready. If that's you're not it. ready to do that, then don't do it. Yeah,
2: and you know, having the nerve to hang on even when it really hurts, and a little suffering is not a bad thing. This is also why there's a chef shortage because no one fucking wants to suffer a little bit. No one wants to make that short-term sacrifice to get somewhere in the long run. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants everything now and everyone feels like they're entitled to having it now.
0: There's a reason that all the chefs always say like, I'll push on or push through. It's because when they were weak and they couldn't do it, people yelled at them, push on, push through. And when you do do that, there's a sense of like pride to be able to turn around and say that to someone else. So you kind of, and you know that it's the only way forward. Like, you can't do it if you can't do that. If you don't want to push through and you don't want to push on, you're never going to make it. Because no matter how hard you think your job is when you're working for someone, running your own place is the shittest job in the kitchen. It's the worst. Yes, there's people like Dan Robinson who don't work anymore and get money just swanning around looking like male models, you know, from Mudgy. But, you know, (laughs) there's only like two dazzers. There's him and Colin you know what I mean yeah. and even Colin fuck man like as much He's shit as slave, we give man. Cole he He's works slave. like a dog yeah. he opens kitchens that do big numbers they do lunch they do dinner like he breaks down pigs like he still does his time in the yeah. kitchen it's probably one of the reasons his staff stay as well cuz yeah, you see exactly. he has huge staff retention yeah. runs it like a proper old military kitchen and you know like there's a couple of ways to keep people either inspire them you know through changing menus and motivate them through you know growth and knowledge or just inspire them by your own work ethic and that's definitely coal
2: yeah it's it's a tough industry man
0: and the one you thing know, though, getting yelled at sometimes isn't a fucking bad thing that's a good thing i think the one thing that ben got wrong in that was that he said you can probably do something small for about 100k you can't do anything for 100k today.
2: you can't even fucking have a kitchen for 100k I took
1: a 20k one. loan out for the diff <laughs> yeah. yeah but had a kitchen
0: and you weren't had, setting
2: up a restaurant yeah I know, I know. everything was there everything we did <laughs> and it still cost you 20 grand Yeah, yeah. We, everything was there that's true it you, still you, cost you 20 grand you've
0: been to Good Luck Pimbo and we did that for 35k yeah. right and it had hoods and it had a cool room Right? And a grease trap. And a grease trap. But the one thing we didn't have to pay for was deposit to hold the lease loan because yep. that's 25K for most places. Yep. If you're, just to hold your rent. Just to, yep. So, so 70, that's 75 now to do, you know, yep. it's at least 5K for lawyers to got to get all your shit done. Yep. Like, I could rattle off 100K if before you, I built if, anything. If you get a license. Yep. Yeah, five. Five minimum. Yep. You know, DA changing hours, couple of grand. Yep. You know what I mean? All the little things that you don't think about. Like... I think to do it properly, he's probably about 50, like for to, to do the literal bare, like what he's talking about, the bare bones place, mm. 150 minimum, minimum, you know what yeah. I mean? And the problem with that is, right, it comes back, I'm, I'm not here to just bang on at the media, but if you do open a place for 150K, it's going to look pretty crappy. Yeah. You shouldn't get slammed for it. You shouldn't get slammed for it, but they write about what things look like because they have to write on the first night. They can't tell you about the 20 dishes they ate because they can only eat three in one meal because they're... Normal human beings, no, yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and, that, their, so and their budget doesn't allow. Them to And eat where more are a hundred? That's <laughs>
1: my problem as a reviewer now, because like, like you have to write about the ambience and what the restaurant looks yeah. like, and I never even that doesn't ever doesn't go matter. into my head. No. Like, if, if, unless it's shit. If it's yeah. shit, I'll say you know overlook this part. But if it's yeah. good, I, just, I don't know. I, I just want to talk about the food. I don't even care about the service. Myself. If you are pitching, <laughs> if you
0: are pitching for two to three hats. Yeah. The amb- like that should never Should've come into happen. it you know what i mean like the fact that you can't walk into chat thai og five years ago mm. and go that is a fucking hatted restaurant yeah. that food is fucking sick i don't care if i'm on little stools i'm cramped in that adds to the ambience you know yeah. what i mean like yeah you don't get that unfortunately but if if you open like full, if you open with like like i'm gonna do the best fucking food in australia like if you are opening like like puss did when he did six penny yeah. like yeah okay judge him on his ambience because yeah. he is fine dining in the suburbs yeah. so he he has to be critiqued at every level but i mean we've talked about a better way to do this the, the thing where you break it down into elements mm. and give five points for this and whatever yeah, yeah. but if you do your hundred thousand dollar ben shuri opening you will get panned yeah. That's the stupidest thing They'll yeah. be like The wine list only has 12 bottles of wine on Because yeah. they're fucking expensive You idiots yeah. Like Do you know how expensive it is To stock a wine yeah. list And they want 50, 60 bottles There's- Or they want you to have Giorgio Di Maria write The most amazing yeah. Unique create. There's one Giorgio thing, There's 30 you know, like- yeah.
2: There's 30k of wine stock Sitting at Acme right of now course.
0: You know So if yeah. you're opening a restaurant That's 30k so you haven't built a kitchen. You've paid 30K for a DA
2: and a license. Not to mention the food you've got to buy to try your menu out and train your staff before you open, la, la, la. And this this then goes into the big problem I find that I have with Sydney at the moment of developers and big corporations backing restaurants and buying restaurants because this now goes into the fact that young chefs don't feel like they can open a restaurant. Mike can't even open a bottle of soda. I <laughs> open a bottle as well as I open a bottle. You pop- can't. Yeah, you can't open a restaurant for under 150k, mm-hmm. right? And what twenty-eight-year-old has 150k? Yeah, I don't. No. Like, I no. didn't. I didn't have any money no. to open a restaurant. No, I still don't have money to open a restaurant. So, what are your options? Okay, I go and work for Maryvale. Mm-hmm. and hopefully Maryvale will open me a restaurant. I've been like, you know, what's Phil going to do now that he's left Rockpool where he had the time to build his reputation on somebody else's dollar, learn and make all the mistakes he could make on somebody else's money. And now he's decided to move on from that and he's going to do his own thing. But who's going to back him? It is Phil going to go and open a $100,000 place? Probably not. So he's going to go work for Maryvale. Is he going to get back by land lease? Is he, got, You know, what's he going to do? And that's the same thing of when someone comes to you and throws all this money at you to open the restaurant of your fucking dreams or whatever it may be, how are you going to say no to that? Yeah. Because you might never be able to open a restaurant otherwise. And I that used leads to, to Maryvale having yeah. a monopoly. It leads to the fucking tram sheds. It leads to Barangaroo. It leads to all these outside interests coming in and having a big say on what happens in the industry. And
0: I used to be really anti backers and really like don't join the big conglomerates and stuff but i mean i've been grafting in sydney now for five years with two like amazing partners and we've been working in shitty places good places bad places or whatever and my advice to anyone that was trying to get into the market is do not do what we do because you just cannot get ahead i would say find a backer or find a group i would encourage everybody to open their own place but not first you know what i mean but Then the next question is, who do you go with? Like, I think the guys from Porteno and Bodega would be fantastic people to work with because they're going to back you, they're going to support you, but they're also going to give you free reign and free license. And then at the end of the day, after five years, you could walk away and you would have learned accounts accountability, all this sort of thing Everything. that would put you in a position to open a place. Like, I don't think you get that from a chain like a Maryvale because no. they're so big and so successful. Like, if you're running Miss G's for them, you're not really running a restaurant, you're running Miss G's. Like, it's a, they're they're fantastically professional and, you know, su- they're so clinical. That's why they're successful. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that Sydney, it, the current situation can allow for small Independent places like, and it's really sad because that's what like an oscillate wildly was back in 2007, 2008. And you know, that's what like other things we, yeah. we had this advantage. I don't think you can do that anymore. So,
2: where do you go to grow? You know, like if, if I didn't get to work at Duke mm. and have that free reign and learn things and make mistakes on somebody else's dollar, like and then work at Buzo and mm. again learn things yeah. and be a head chef and learn how to be a head chef and what not to do and what to do and learn about myself and grow myself then I wouldn't Acme wouldn't be as successful no. as it is now you know but even if you were, that's, even that's if that's six were trying years to, of my life yeah and that's a, when I was already a senior chef yeah not that, to mention everything to get that opportunity to that
0: stage but even opening the exact same Acme right now in this day and age even four years down the line mm. would be heaps harder oh 100% you know and that same investment like we invested 35k 30k in good luck pinbone for a six month pop-up right and we just thought well fuck it we don't care like we don't have enough money to open what we really want you know we can't we don't want to back or we don't want to take loans we don't want to do this so we're just gonna have some fun but if we were doing something that was more serious and we'd invested 300 400k i'd be fucking nervous right now because even though we're still busy and we still have people coming through the door and people love the product the drop there's In, not enough people to come There's not enough people, man. And
2: this is the thing. Acme cost us about 400K. I didn't have money. Yep. My parents loaned us some money. We got stuff financed. We conned the bank into giving us a loan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have, we don't have backers. Yeah, yeah. The same thing with the bar. Acme had been successful and had a good year. An opportunity came up. And man, it almost broke us. Yep. It still might fucking break us. Yep. And... The bar was a little bit more expensive to set up and we could have done things differently. And again, you learn mm-hmm. and I probably will do things differently next time. But it's hard, man. Like yeah. even the difference, when we opened Acme two and a half years ago, we opened at the start of summer and nothing else opened until Automata opened. Mm. So we had six months of being the glory, yeah, being the new kid on the block. Yep. We opened the bar at the start of winter because that's just when things happen. When it was happen. ready and that's what you do the next week Mikado opened yep. Hubert opened this opened yep. that opened literally 10 things open in the next two weeks so we didn't get a grace period we didn't get that nice little bump yeah. and it was a fucking slog yeah. and the bar's been on upward trend and everyone that comes loves it mm-hmm. but getting enough bums on seats every night to pay the
0: fucking bills yeah. is tough man and that's the that's the thing at the end of the day it's not as it used I think in the old days it really used to be if your product was good enough you'd be okay but it's not about that anymore sadly and that's the whole social media thing it's the bad journalism where they're just looking for clickbait you know what I mean and then it's so funny you say when the bar opened because it's like the Hubert vortex if you opened to any side of Hubert you're fucked fucked. because the only thing people wrote about was Hubert for six months and good on them like fuck they nailed that they Mm. did their thing like but I, but yeah,
1: I mean, we, we, we spoke about how annoying it was. Like, you know, like, you know we love Hubert, but also, like, it completely overshadowed Automata when it came yeah. to award season. So, a, a wrestling that had only been open a, a month or two just just blitzed the awards, and mm. poor old Automata didn't get a look in.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's
0: silly. You know. Anyway.
1: Lev's looked really bored through that whole conversation.
2: He no, was I'm on his a... phone and stuff.
0: <laughs> we went on he didn't, get, he oh, didn't get to talk for oh, 10 minutes. He's like too You're
2: much content. at the bit. I've got some jokes, guys. Fuck. No one so, listens to their show for their jokes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, come, they tune in for two of the world's best complainers doing what they do best.
0: I, um, I thought we were positive. In yeah, it's, just, it's, not, it's just reality. You You can't send like lambs to the slaughter like you've got to be honest as someone is sitting here doing what young chefs want to do which is opening restaurants like i've done a lot now we Mm -hmm. open them for short periods of time but you know it keeps us in the media you know what i mean and mitchy's opened second things and he pimps himself out and he gets in the media it is a fact of life if you do not play that game you're fucking gone yeah. you know what I mean. And
2: you used you used to be so against it. You I, have to I used be. to said I used Mikey used to be like, Nah, fuck that. I'm not playing that game. Blah. blah, blah. And I was like, All right, Mike, we'll see, Mikey. <laughs> I mean, we play it
0: our own you way. know like yeah. we give yeah. them things to write about. You have to, yeah. You have to play it your you know? own You have to be true to yourself yeah. and you have to be authentic. But if we didn't have it, we'd have no chance. No. You know. But they write stories about us because we just do things. Like we break our backs to do things that they yeah. want to write about. And you do yeah. it in an
2: individual voice yeah. that's unique and different.
1: You recently had a, a series of, of, of nights that were kind of announced through Gourmet Traveler and you sold out before you even had a chance to put them on yeah. your Instagram. Yeah. What do you do, a Mexican night? What else have you done?
0: Past the night, Mexican night, vegan did night. Did pass the pasta and night brunch. happen in the end? Yeah, just a week later. Oh, uh, right. Because we had a fire. But um Who's, just,
1: was a fire your fault?
0: No, 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 it's just old building, the whole the whole electrical box caught on fire. You know what's funny? If we didn't do the, the Wednesday night dinner we wouldn't have been in there on a Tuesday prepping right
2: And you wouldn't we wouldn't it have seen
0: the fire because it was downstairs and the people that live upstairs there's like 20 people living in a two bedroom apartment illegally but our landlords <laughs> won't kick them out just quietly <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're stealing our stuff from the backyard but if we weren't there on Tuesday the whole building probably would have gone up Fuck. so the fact that we were doing an extra day's work saved us from losing everything Shit. so it's crazy
1: work hard everybody
0: no, it's not that it's just luck you know Good luck, Pinbone. You take that back right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, thanks so much to Mike Eggett for joining us once again. On the Mitchin, uh, we can find him online at Pinbone. Is the best place to see all the food that he does. Great Instagram account, as shouted out by us in our yeah, I Instagram like that. account. I like that
0: you guys corrected because they had the, t- the fucking worst list. Like They had some good things on there, but they had some really... I think actually on, you know, on
1: that note, I think Josh Nyland is a great example of someone who uses social media so well to sure. promote yeah, what he he, I really love he that it's not it's well. not just these picturesque dish dishes of, yeah. of of what he serves out it's the opposite it is like it's the process mm-hmm. he cuts up a, a fish shows you all of the, the things produce. that he's using that he's exactly like, I love that I yeah, think it's, it's so really cool
0: good. Yeah there were so many good Instagram accounts though. They couldn't. You guys picked up a lot of great ones. It was really good. Thanks, bro.
1: Glad, glad you're still
0: listening. <laughs> I, I'm not. I just heard my name. I have that <laughs> app that tells you when people yeah. talk about Google, you and Google. Just, yeah, Google they, alerts so every you, night. You, just uh, Google, Google alert myself. You've got some
1: uh, some diehard fans that always write. Bring Mike back on every single one of our posts. Still, so
0: ah, oh, well, you know, there's some. Intelligent people out there listening to the Mitchin, obviously.
1: <laughs> uh, you can find the Mitchin online, facebook.com/slash the Mitchin, or send us an email, the Mitchin podcast at gmail.com. Mitch, you can find him at Instacrill on Instagram, at Krillin on the Run on Twitter, and I'm at Levdog, L-E-V-D-A-W-G, on all forms of social media. Um, Mike, we've been doing a thing where we spring it on our guests to, uh, to pick the, the closing song. Oh, wait, 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 of wait. the episode. Well, Mitch is going to uh, overrule it? No, no.
2: I just wanted to um, go back to TV. Okay. Um, another, I don't know if you've seen it, Mike, on uh, Netflix. Shanghai. A new like Doco American food Doco drop called Sustainable. It's got Mark Bittman, um, Dan Barber's in it, Rick Bayless, and stuff like that about some farmers and stuff. It seems really good. I've had two great naps while <laughs> it's been on, so I can't really comment on it. But check it out anyway. Yeah, and lovely.
0: Yeah, I want to see that. So they're they're quality journalists. So. It yeah. should be good. A bit preachy, but it'll be good.
1: Um, I just checked the Mitchin email address. and um, You've been saying it wrong this whole time. No, no, no. It's, it, it's, it's still the at Mitchinpodcast.gmail.com. I just thought, you know, haven't got any emails in the last week. And we have. We got one from Marilyn Jason who says, hello there. If you're a coffee lover, great offered to you for you to bring. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> 10% off t- her t-shirts. Never underestimate the power of coffee. The best kind of mum... Passes a coffee maker. What? Life is cool. Always drink coffee. Don't do it. (laughs) So that's what we'll be wearing In the future
0: <laughs> We're not allowed to drink coffee Where we are I don't know no, no. Put that on put, the, the, put the best, on ki- the, wall. the
1: best kind of mom Raises a coffee maker That's wow. a fucking Very complicated Who would wear that The kid or I the mom know. I don't
0: know Anyway, me. I
1: don't know Song of the week Mikey Song of the week
0: uh, Well okay It's an easy one for me Because there's a Simpsons bit you Remember the episode Where Homer's a, a boxer And he yeah, walks yeah, out yeah. to the ring Do you remember the song yeah. they played It's like Why can't we be friends By war oh, yeah, And yeah. it's always been My favourite <laughs> thing And if I ever went into a ring I was going to play it but but this is close enough so why can't we be friends by war because when Homer walks out and if you could do a little video at the bottom it's possibly the best thing the Simpsons ever did in my opinion it had nothing to do with Lisa which I know Mitch will be down with like It was so funny so why can't we be friends by war bring it cheers Mike and we'll see everybody next week bye Mikey bye feels nourished and glows you radiate confidence
1: osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean clinically proven mega moisture duo this seaweed powered duo features two of osea's best sellers undaria algae body oil and undaria collagen body lotion glow from the inside out get 10 percent off your first order with code glow at OSEAMalibu.com. that's o-s-e-a malibu.com code glow